Revelation chapter 9. Uh, Revelation is one of those books, stories, if you want to, you know, true story, but uh, it, it intensifies as we go. And so each week as we study and each week, I, I probably throw it at some point, this is heavy stuff. <laughs> it just gets heavier. So as we get into chapter nine here again, there's some there's some heavy things that we're going to be seeing. Chapter eight, the seven seals were completed. The last of the seven seals that were on the title deed to the earth were broken. And if you remember the result, there was a direct result with each of the seals being broken. And when the seventh is broken, there's silence in heaven. As other things begin to take place as well. Uh, one of them being that the prayers of the saints are rising before the Lord God like an incense, or actually along with a heavenly incense. And, and all heaven goes silent to hear those prayers. And, and those specifically are prayers that deal with justice being brought to this fallen world. And it says all of the prayers of the saints, meaning all of the prayers that have to do with justice being carried out on this fallen world through all the history of mankind that they have been stored up for that very moment to rise before the Lord because justice is coming. This, this is the moment all creation, all heaven has been waiting for. The process of redemption has, has, is, is reaching its end, right? So we can be saved at any point. But then there's this process, I guess I should say the process of sanctification in our lives is something that goes on, but there's an ongoing process of the redemption of mankind that has been happening really since the Garden of Eden, since the fall. And that process is reaching its end. With all of these things, the close of the seven seals, there is now the beginning of the seven trumpets. And we looked at the first four last week. Um, the first was hail, fire, and blood, uh, and a third of the trees in the grass were burned up. The second was something like a mountain that fell into the sea, and a third of the animals and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third, it says, a great star from heaven fell to the earth and poisons one-third of the water, of the fresh water supply. And then in the fourth, trumpet the sun the moon and the stars were struck so that a third of the time that they should be seen there is now just darkness and we talked about some of the different possibilities of that i just i think that it's again a supernatural event that it should be a time when the sun is shining but it's just this darkness like we see in the judgments that fell on egypt and and there are some great parallels i really thought about getting into all of it but i think it'd be a very long sidetrack but for you to study, look at the judgments that God poured out on Egypt as he was setting Israel free and what we're reading here in Revelation. There's some amazing parallels. Darkness is, is simply just one of them. Uh, but then after that, one of the angels says, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Three woes for the three trumpets that remain. And woe simply means dread and despair right it's not just like whoa <laughs> it it's a really it's a pretty intense term that was used 
We don't use it so much anymore, but it means dread and despair to the inhabitants of the earth. Um, the first four trumpets were focused on the earth itself, on, on things like the sea and the trees and the grass and the sun and the moon and stars. Uh, the last three will be specifically on man. Now, even the first four affect man directly, uh, but the, the trumpet blasts were not necessarily focused on mankind, where the last three will. In chapter 9, we'll see the next two of the trumpets. The last trumpet, the seventh trumpet, won't uh, be sounded until chapter 11. And so for the next two, what's going to be taking place, what we're going to see in chapter 9, is that the supernatural suddenly becomes every day. And, and understand, certainly we see it in our day, that people go, well, I don't know. Maybe there's angels, maybe there's demons, maybe there's an afterlife, maybe there's, you know, this supernatural world that is around us that's unseen by us. That's not going to be the case during the tribulation. And, and it might even be the case up until this point of the tribulation. But when chapter 9 hits, all those questions are going to be removed. There's no longer going to be a question if angels and demons exist. There's no longer going to be a question if, if uh, you know, there is a supernatural world. It's going to be tangible. It's going to be evident and visual in every way. Um, and it's going to have a direct effect on mankind. It isn't just going to be something happening around like a dream or like a ghost or something like that. They are going to be interacting with man in a really horrible way. <laughs> it's not a good thing. Um, and so we're going to see this here in chapter 9. Uh, demonic armies and demonic enemies are going to be unleashed on mankind. Um, let's pray one more time. Lord God, how we want to hear from you. And though these things are in the future, we know they have application to our lives. Pray that you would apply them. You'd show us individually how these things are lived out and, and how this should change our focus on what our priorities are and, and the direction that our life is going. And we give you this time. Again, Holy Spirit, have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Chapter 9. I just got to say, somebody was talking to me before church, and they said, I've been watching online. And usually when I watch online, I can hear people kind of laugh or interact or even ask, you know, say something out loud. And since Revelation has started, everybody's silent. Everyone's quiet. It's like, <gasps> so just so you know, it's okay. You can still laugh, you know, at appropriate times. <laughs> yeah, not all of it's an appropriate time to laugh. All right, verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given, a key, given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, pit, and smoke arose out of the pit, the smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. And then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. And to them was given power, as a scorpion of the earth has power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, or any green thing, or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God upon their forehead. 
and they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days they will seek death. Excuse me, in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, but death will flee from them. Terrifying. It is. It's like the things of nightmares. Um, and if, if you read through that, you could just go, what in the world is the Lord doing here? Um, but as, as I've said before, this is the great shaking of mankind. This is the last attempt to get the attention of people to repent from their sins and to come to Jesus Christ. And it's, it's harsh. It's a tough love, but it is love. And it's, it's hard for us to get that sometimes, but understand that is, that's what's taking place and what's going to continue to take place for the rest of Revelation. The fifth trumpet sounds and John sees a star fallen from heaven. Um, this is not a physical star. The, the similar terms are used in other places that we've already seen. But in this case, the star is referred to as him. It says, and to him was given a key. Uh, the question that most people have, um, is, this a, is this a good angel or is this a demon, right? Because that's really what it's referring to, is the star being an angel or a demon, which is it? Uh, really, it could be either one. Uh, it could be an angel that's given the authority to go and open up this bottomless pit. Uh, but I tend to think it's a demon because of the way it's worded, uh, it doesn't say, I saw a star coming down from heaven. John says, I saw a star fallen, past tense, from heaven. And I, I believe that that's a reference to the demons who have lost their place. And that he has given permission. It really doesn't matter. Either way, whoever this is, he can only do what he does because he's been given the authority by God to do it. Right? So if this is a fallen angel or if this is an angel from heaven, it's the same case either way. God has determined the time and the way that this abyss or this pit will be opened up. Um, and it's all by his authority that is being allowed to be done. The next question people usually have is, what is this pit that is opened up? Is this a, a, a physical hole in the ground? Or you know, I think tend to think it's a, something a lot more than that. But I think... What I've also seen is people overcomplicate what this is, or they over-spiritualize it. They try and make it into something symbolic. It's simply a prison for demons. That's all this is. And it is where they are locked away, not all demons, but certain demons that have been locked away, um, and it's, it's a prison for them. Uh, if you remember the story back in Luke chapter 8, where Jesus comes to the place where Legion is. And the demons within Legion start crying out and begging Jesus, do not cast us into the abyss. Instead, cast us into these pigs. Remember that story? That's the prison they're talking about. The pit and the abyss are the same place. It's also mentioned in 2 Peter chapter 2 and mentioned in the book of Jude. Um, and so when did the, the demons that are there get imprisoned? Well, it seems that, uh, again, looking at the story of Legion, that it, they can be thrown in there at any time. 
It isn't like they were going, oh, hey, you can't throw us in there. The key, it's already locked up. They knew that if Jesus wanted to, he's like, nope, I'm locking you away. And so they can, the number could be added to, but mostly what we find through where it's mentioned in Scripture is that uh, some of them were locked in there after they fell from heaven, and others were locked in there just before the flood of Noah. Now, why? I don't know. But that's where they were. The other question people ask is, okay, so when the pit is opened up, do all the demons come out, or is this just a group of them? Again, I don't know. But we know that these are, are unleashed on the earth. Chapter, or verse 3 says that out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. Why are they called locusts? Uh, we get a, a great description of them in just a little bit in verse 7. They look nothing like locusts, except that they have wings, right? Uh, but they don't look like grasshoppers or locusts or, or what we think of. The description is, is more of their motive and, and how they operate, okay? That they move in a swarm. And, and we get the idea that there's thousands, maybe millions of them. No idea. But there's a lot of them, like a swarm of locusts is the idea. So many of them. They all have one purpose. And they are set free upon the earth to bring about the judgment of God. Just like in Exodus 10, where God used locusts, again, to bring judgment upon the earth. So again, we see that parallel between what happened in Egypt and what's happening during the tribulation. Um, that lo- those locusts were set f- free, and they ate every green thing. It's what locusts do. I've never uh, seen what the damage that locusts do, but I've talked to people who have. And they've said, I've heard it's just absolutely terrifying. To see a place, I talked with a guy that had done missionary work in Africa in an area that had been just hit by locusts. And he said, there isn't one green thing anywhere. And, and they get to a point that I guess they start eating cloth, they eat anything soft, and it looks like something from some post-apocalyptic movie, that there's just nothing alive as far as you can see. And so that's what it was like in Egypt. But these are told that they can't harm anything that's green, nothing, no plant life, nothing. In fact, they have one target, and that is those who are not sealed with the seal of God upon their forehead. Well, that certainly refers to the 144,000 that we just saw, those Jewish evangelists that, that God has saved and sealed. But I think it also is speaking of every believer. People are going to be getting saved during the tribulation. And when we come to Christ, and even when they come to Christ during the tribulation, they are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so these demons are unleashed on the earth, but they can't harm any Christian. They can only harm those people that are not Christians, that are not saved. And the people that they harm, they can't kill. They can only torment. Uh, And again, this seems like a cruel thing. I've had people say, that that seems cruel that God would allow them to cause this torment, but not pe- put people out of their, their torment. Understand, a greater torment awaits them. Yeah. And again, this is, this is the dividing line. This is, are you for Christ or against him? And this is part of the ramifications of people who say, no, I'm against him. So the, the fact that they can't be killed is actually a mercy. And it's an intense thing that will, will take place. 
These things are brutal. Again, we'll see, we'll see their, disc, disc, excuse me, their description in just a few more verses. Uh, but they're terrifying. It says that they're, uh, they're, they've got uh, tails like scorpions and all of these things. Nobody's going to look at these creatures, these demons, and go, I wonder if they're nice, right? I think God has put something in our software that causes us most of the time to recognize what's safe and what's not, right? I don't think anybody looks at a centipede and goes, I wonder if he wants to cuddle, right? The first time you saw a scorpion, even as a child, you didn't go, I bet those are nice, you know? You just went, no, there's something creepy there. Spiders? Right on, right? Nobody's like, oh, a spider, yay! Maybe they get their, you know, adults can do that, but not when you first see one. I remember I was scuba diving at night, and, and I see this thing working its way through the water, and like, like an inchworm, like through the, through the water, and, and I, so I kind of get over next to it, and it's terrifying. It, it, I found out later on it's called a fireworm. It looks a lot like a centipede, and not for a moment did I think I want to touch that, right? <laughs> You just know. There's something that says, no, 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 danger, right? It's like on the other side. Nobody looks at a little kitten and goes, careful, it could be dangerous. Right? <laughs> These things, when they come on the scene, nobody's going to think that they're on their side. They are going to strike fear in the hearts of every single person who sees them. Um, now, it does describe them... Uh, like locusts and also uh, like the sting of a scorpion. But it's not necessarily referring to uh, the pain of a scorpion, right? Uh, if you've been stung by a scorpion, it's not, you know, I guess there's some that are pretty bad. But it's not saying like, oh, yeah, it's like being bit by a, a centipede or a sting of a bee. That's, that's not what it's saying. The idea is that no matter how painful the sting is, it's rarely fatal. And in this case... It's never fatal. So these creatures, these demons that are now in tangible physical form are going to bring torment. So bad that the people who get it want to die. Now they're given, a, there's a time limit. They have five months. And that's all the time that they have to bring this torment. But in those five, men, five months, people who are stung, will desire death, and it, it will flee from them. That terrifies me. There's something in that that every time I read it just causes a little chill like in my soul. People will seek death, and it will flee from them. See, we don't understand. Even, even what we know of the Bible and what we know of science, we don't understand what causes life to cling to this flesh. There's, there's just, you can ask anybody, and they're like, well, we think it could be this. They think. They don't know where and how life clings to, to this body. But whatever that God has done to make it cling, it will continue to cling to people no matter what. No matter what they do to themselves, no matter how they attempt to take their own lives, none of them will be successful. And again, that could seem just like this cruel thing, but it is God begging them believe. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep you here because a worse thing awaits for you. Believe. 
take this opportunity to repent. In verse 7, gives us the description or starts the description. It says, The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like the breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and their sting was in their tail. Their power to hurt men, their power was to hurt men for five months. And they had as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past. Behold, two more woes are coming after these things. In John's description over and over, he uses the word like, right? It was like crowns of something like gold, horses or like horses prepared for battle. And so he's understand, I, I mentioned this last week, and I think it's important as we read and understand Revelation. John is not changing the meaning of anything. He's simply trying to describe things the way he understands it, right? So he's not saying it was horses prepared for battle. He's going, it's like. This is the closest thing I can describe it as. But in no way is he changing the description or trying to reinterpret what God is showing him. He's just explaining it as closely as he possibly can. Um, some have tried to make these descriptions into a description of modern-day uh, weapons of warfare, helicopters or other machines, drones, and um, there's a lot of problems with that. I remember when I first got saved, of course, why not start in the book of Revelation? Uh, and, and so I'm reading it and having somebody else try and explain it to me, and that's how they told me. They're like, oh, this is actually explaining helicopters, you know, and I'm like, it is? You know, I was just amazed. And, and so at first I was like, well, sure, why not? What do I know? But the more you study out that possibility, and you start to see some really big problems. So first of all, why would God lock up helicopters in some supernatural prison? That's a big one. Right? Again, it's taking a description and then trying to make it fit something we know and forgetting everything else we just read. Right? Whereas we go, no, this is a supernatural creature. This is a, this is a supernatural demon who's now taking physical form, being unleashed from a prison. And John's going, and they're horrifying. Let me describe them. Right? Instead of try, and trying to make it into something that's uh, understandable. Uh, and I think, as I've said with other things, if we try and explain this by natural things or natural processes we know alone, we're missing the whole point. This is the supernatural becoming visible to the inhabitants of the earth. It's not just bad things happening. It's the supernatural taking place. And in this case, it has a direct bearing or a direct effect on mankind. These demons have physical form. 
And, and again, John's describing it like horses prepared for battle, breastplates of iron, tails like scorpions, wings that sound like horses and chariots rushing into battle. Strong, armored, terrifying. As I said, the sight of these things will fill people with fear. And it's not just a few of them. In, in, in twice now, he describes it like this swarm kind of thing with locusts and with a, a chariots and, and horses all rushing into battle. The idea is that there's an abundance, this roar of them coming towards you. I don't think we have anything necessarily in our day and age that, that strikes fear into the heart of man like John is, is describing. I mean, there are things that are scary. Uh, there was one day we were working up uh, towards Pohakaloa, and uh, they were running their you know, things up there and doing exercises. And, and this F-22 Raptor comes flying by. That's a super intimidating thing. <laughs> you, would not be, you wouldn't want to be on the wrong end of that jet coming towards you, right, if you knew that it was the target. But I, I think that there's something else. I remember watching Lord of the Rings, and there's uh, this one scene where all of the, the warriors of Rohan are, are riding ho- with horses, and they're all charging towards the enemy. And they captured the fear of that so well when you just have not just one horse, thousands of them. And the ground is shaking, and it, there's this roaring sound of them coming at you. That's the idea here. That when these things, they're not going to hide and seek. They're not going to just appear here and there. It's going to be the roar of wrath coming toward you. Or toward your city or toward, you know, this group of people. It's terrifying. Unlike locusts that are mindless, eating pests, that just do what they do by instinct. We're told that these have a king over them. Angel of the bottomless pit. Uh, and we're given his name in two different languages, Abaddon and Apollyon. They both mean the destroyer. Now, some people would say, oh, well, this is just a really bad demon that was also locked up. But there's only one that this really describes, and that is the devil himself. So people go, well, why would he be called the angel of the bottomless pit? He's not in the bottomless pit. No, but to those who are released from it, they are his king. Or he is their king, right? He doesn't have to spend any time in the bottomless pit to have authority over those who are held there. And and so when these demons are released, they're looking to be led by their king. And again, that isn't Jesus. That isn't an angel. It's the destroyer. And, and really, we'll see this more, but like with each thing, each trumpet and each bowl of wrath that is poured out, it's like God is just re- pulling back his protection a little bit. And, and so in this case, he just, he just pulls back some protection. I've kept these guys locked up, and now I'm going to let them go. I'm going to release my protection that has been on all mankind. Again, people will, will boldly say, Oh, I don't want anything that God has, and I don't want anything to do with God. The problem with that is, is that if you remove God, you also remove everything that's his, including his protection, including 
spiritual and physical protection that he places over all mankind, no matter who they are or what they believe. And this is the removal of some of that protection. They go, okay, I'm going to give you exactly what you want. And these things are unleashed on the earth. Verse 13 says, Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound in the great river Euphrates. And so the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, and the month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now, the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. And I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, those who sat on them, had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. And by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. By the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouth. For their power is in their mouth and in their tail. For their tails are like serpents, having heads, and with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works, of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons, idols, idols of gold, silver, and brass, and stone, and wood, which can neither see, nor hear, nor walk. They did not repent of their murders, of their sorceries, of their sexual immoralities, or of their thefts. The sixth trumpet sounds, and the angel is told to release these four angels bound in the river Euphrates. Now again, I don't know whether these are heavenly angels that have been kept in this place for a certain time, or whether these are other demons that have been bound. Again, it doesn't matter all that much, uh, because they are under the authority of God and given boundaries that they must work within. And it's very clear that this is for a determined time, the hour, the day, the month, and the year that God has determined for these to be set loose on the earth. And by them, one-third of mankind dies. Now keep in mind how much has already taken place that you've got the rapture of the church, whatever that number might be, say a billion. You've got all the chaos that comes from those people suddenly vanishing. You've got a worldwide earthquake that takes place right after that. And then you've got the things that took place during the the seals being broken, things like fire and plague, poisonous water, a tidal wave that destroys a third of all the ships. And then after all of that, A third of the people who remain are now dead. Huge loss worldwide. And it's interesting because it isn't a result of these four angels or demons being set loose. It's the army that they call forth that does this damage. So it isn't these angels doing it. 
but they're the ones behind it. They call for this huge, great number of soldiers. Um, and it's interesting because John even is blown away by it. In verse 16, it says that the army is 200 million. And John says, and I heard the number. In other words, he's making it clear, I can't even believe how big this army is. I'm, I'm not mistaken. I heard the number, I'm, and he's making it clear. This is an, an army of 200 million. Now, one of the reasons that might have been such a big deal is that people who do like uh, studies on population have said that at this day, when John wrote this, there weren't 200 million people on the planet. And so John is going, of course, he didn't know that, right? He didn't know how many people were worldwide. But it's enough that he cannot even imagine the size of this army. And even in our day, we go, well, that's a massive amount of foot soldiers. Again, people try and explain this away and go, oh, well, this is describing China. This is describing, you know, all of the Middle East banding together, whatever. Um, and there, John's really describing things like tanks and missiles and chemical warfare. Again, if we try and explain this all away with just the physical things that we know of, we again miss the point. If, if that's all it was, if this was just a really big army and they had some great weapons, then in our day, all it means is another army and another war. Nothing supernatural about it. It's just simply more bad news. John's describing it here because it's far more than that. And as he describes the horses that the, these soldiers ride upon, it's like nothing we've ever seen. So this is, a, again, a supernatural event. This army's called forth by these angels or demons. And I believe it's demons because they are demonically empowered. That what they're doing, the destruction they're bringing forth, is horrific. Now, maybe it's angels, but again, only my opinion. I tend to think these are more demons that have been locked away for this time. This is a judgment that is being poured out on mankind, and I believe all mankind will know it. This isn't just random events. These aren't just things that are taking place, like God is toying with mankind, or like God is like, oh, okay, now it's my turn to punish you. That's not what's happening here. These are, these are done for a reason. These are brought about for a purpose. And mankind has to know that they are being held accountable for, first of all, what they've done and what they've known in the past and the decision that they have to make now, right? See, if, if a person isn't aware of the decision that they have, then there's really no way to punish them for it. I mean, we do in our society, but that's not how justice is really supposed to work. God's justice is perfect. And so ignorance of the law, you couldn't be held accountable for breaking it. However, in this case, they are aware of it. They know that this is a judgment from God. And again, remember, they've seen the Lord in heaven come for the church. They've seen Jesus, that great sign in heaven that has come for everybody who is in him. And that's how, this is where it all starts. And they've been aware of a judgment on all of mankind with each step. But I think it's also important to know that God, again, isn't just doing this to mess with people. He, he takes no pleasure in, in having to do this. In Ezekiel chapter 33, 
says this, verse 11. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked should turn from his ways and live. That's what's happening here in the tribulation. In no way does God take pleasure in having to pour out wrath, to pour out these things on mankind. His hope is that the wicked will see their ways and repent and turn. So often people say, you know what? If I saw a real miracle, then I'd believe. If I had an angel come and visit me, talk to me, then I'd believe. Oh, no, you wouldn't. It's true. And that's not just looking at Revelation to say that's true. It's also looking back again to uh, Exodus. You know, the children of Israel saw miracle after miracle and judgment after judgment on, it, on Egypt, and then God took care of them the whole time. They saw the Red Sea parted, and they were taken right through the midst of it. And almost immediately on the other side, they start complaining how God has abandoned them. <laughs> right? It's just who we are. It's just our, our nature that we can see amazing, miraculous, incredible works of God in our life and go, yeah, maybe it's coincidence. Maybe it was something else. Maybe it was my imagination. All of the world is going to see these things. Like I said, starting with the Lord himself coming on the clouds for his church. They're going to see demons unleashed on the earth. They're going to see this massive army supernaturally empowered to bring harm. And, and what does it, in fact, we're going to read this over and over again as we go through the book of Revelation. What does it tell us in verse 20? But the rest of mankind who did, were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. In fact, the things that they're doing, worshiping, angel, worshiping demons and idols and all these other things, they just keep right on doing it. Instead of going, wait a second, here we are worshiping demons and it's these demons who are tormenting us. Maybe we should stop. They're just so stiff-necked. There's just so, I'm not going to change no matter what. I'm not going to bow my knee. And I thought about this, and this is, this is just a thought, just my own opinion, so take it as that. I wonder if the torment that comes from those demons stops the minute you receive Christ. Because the person who stung, if they receive Christ, well, now they're sealed and they can't be harmed. Just an idea, just like, it, it, is that the kind of dividing line that's going to be drawn out for mankind? And yet they're still so, no, I'd rather be in torment than repent. That at least is what we see here. The, the people, whether that sting does that or not, whether receiving Christ would set you free from that or not, what we see is people going through all of this other torment and difficulty, absolute refusal to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Again, with each of these, God's just removing a little bit of his protection, showing how he has watched over mankind, and I believe also a reminder to mankind of how fragile they are, how little we are in control, and yet they will not repent. Now for us, how does this apply? How, I mean, well, we can look at all these things, and I think a lot of times the application is, Sure glad I won't be there. <laughs> so glad that we are not going to face this judgment. 
Um, but I think there's more. On a, it's certainly on a completely different scale, different level altogether. But here in chapter 9, we see in, in multiple places that God has prepared this trial for the earth to bring them to repentance, right? To the very month, day, hour, all of those things, planned and prepared. And again, on a completely different scale, I think it's good for us to know that there are also trials that have been prepared ahead for us. Not this. We'll never face God's judgment because we're in Christ. We can be sure of that, that if we belong to Jesus, we're not going to face His judgment. But that doesn't mean we're not going to face hard times. That the trials in our lives accomplish the same things that God is trying to accomplish with what's left of fallen mankind, right? Because when we go into a trial, and really it doesn't matter what that source was, whether it's a mistake I made, whether it's an attack of another person, somebody else being mean or, or unjust, whatever it might be, it really doesn't matter. Because the effect is the same, is that it causes me to be brought low. To admit I don't have control, like I, I like to think I do. And I can't handle things on my own. I need the Lord. It's the trial that shows us that we're going a little bit off course. It's the trial that shows that I've begot, begun to bow to some idols in my life that I didn't think I was bowing to. And it's the trials in my life that bring me back, make me recognize those bad motives and cause me to have to repent of them to get right with the Lord. Again, not because I fear judgment from God, but because I want to be right with Him and I want to be free as I can in this life. So not every trial is from the Lord. As I said, they can be from other areas. But God has said some of them, like, I know you're going to need this real soon. And that's not a bad thing in our lives. Every trial, like I said, isn't from Him, but I believe every trial can be used by Him. And... Uh, and it brings us back to the place of saying, Lord, you're the one in control. You're the one on the throne. I'm not. And I need you to refine me. Take me through some fire that I might be usable by you on the other side. Every trial is for his glory, and it's for our good. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Well, God, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we don't need to fear facing judgment, that we are protected, we are in your hands. Lord, we have a place at your table. And God, I pray that you would prepare our hearts for whatever this week holds, whether that's trial or victory. God, that we give you the glory, that we let you refine us and make us more and more usable. Lord, we want to see people saved. We want to see people come to your kingdom and be found in you, that they also would not have to face any type of judgment. Give us your heart towards the lost. Give us your heart towards your people. And we just pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.